of spiritual gifts. Um, if you're absolutely new to Christianity, um, you've never you know, heard or, or maybe heard the gospel or unfamiliar, um, what the Bible teaches is that when we are born again, when we are converted and brought to new life, through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, that God's Spirit comes to dwell within us um, irrevocably and, and never leaves us. And that a part of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us is that that Holy Spirit gifts us and equips us for, for ministry and that the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives um, are usually targeted or themed for one area of ministry in the church. Um, it may be a word ministry like I'm doing um, right now and preaching the word of God. It may be wisdom and maybe helping or serving. Um, and we'll look at the list as we go through the different lists. Um, and so we're looking right now at a Corinthian church that had gotten a lot of that wrong. And the Corinthian church rightly looked at the presence of the Holy Spirit and considered themselves rightly new creatures in Christ Jesus and so indwelt by God's Holy Spirit. But what they started to ask questions about and started to, to kind of go into some one-upmanship with one another about was who was most spiritual. And so I wonder if I started out with a few questions and asked, who do you think is the most spiritual person in this room right now? Who would it be? If I were to say, where do you think that you rank spiritually in comparison to other people? Where do you rank and how would you rank yourself? If, if I were to ask a question like, if you were trying to grow spiritually today, if, if I said, I, I want you by the end of today to make progress and spiritual growth, go get about that either now or this afternoon, what would you do and why would you do it? And if you went to bed tonight and said, I did what Joe asked, how would you measure how that spiritual growth happened? Now that's a big topic, I'm not gonna answer all of that this morning. But the way that the, the, the Christians at Corinth answered it was the people who were most spiritual were the people who had the best spiritual gifts. Most notably, the Christians who had spiritual gifts that had to do with the public proclamation of God's word. And so they started to congregate, apparently, with people of like gifts. And so if, if some people were particularly gifted by the Holy Spirit to um, proclaim God's word, they were huddling together in the Corinthian church. And if other people were particularly suited to serve or for evangelism, that there started to be this cliquish separation within the Corinthian church and possibly this bipartisan spirit where different people thought that their spiritual gift and people who had their spiritual gift were more holy and more spiritual than other people in that congregation. And like most of the book of Corinthians, um, Paul is writing and responding um, with the equivalent of pulling his hair out, of in frustration and exasperation, fussing at the Corinthians saying, really? After we got through of saying, don't get drunk at the Lord's Supper, now you're going into these cliques around your spiritual gifts? Don't do that. And so he's going to spend the next two chapters talking about spiritual gifts. He's going to be talking about spirituality and what makes us spiritual, even specifically in the exercise of the spiritual gifts, and why did God give spiritual gifts to a congregation? To give you an illustration that we'll use throughout the sermon, um, I want you to think back maybe to Christmas morning. You might have spent Christmas morning um, with smaller children, and um, you watched children open gifts. Um, it's maybe a, 
a blitzkrieg of paper going everywhere and kids excited about the toys and excited about the boxes and setting one toy down and opening another toy and being excited about that toy and then returning to the other toy and then sometime probably late in the afternoon you start to get phone calls from family or late in the coming um, week you start to need to remind your children hey remember to tell so-and-so thank you for getting you X. Hey, re remember to write a thank you note to so-and-so because they very kindly gave you that gift. And a lot of times, especially with young children, they don't even know who gave them what gift. And so maybe you're as a parent, you know, trying to like diligently write down what gift was from whom so you know who to encourage your child later on to thank whomever for whatever gift they received because your child's just so excited about the gift that, um, that they've received. And, and for some, some of it, it's not wrong. We don't expect like a four or five year old to have an exhaustive memory of who gave them what gift and to know what to do afterwards and to temper their excitement in such a way that they can also grow in thankfulness. But we do expect that over time into adolescence, into adulthood, that your ability to receive a gift retained your excitement about the gift but that you also learned thankfulness and even maybe in your older years you start to appreciate the person who gave you the gift and maybe even their thoughtfulness and what they chose to give you even more than the gift itself so for some of you you have things in your house that you no longer use that you keep that were gifts and the reason you keep it and love it is not because it's particularly useful but it reminds you about the thoughtfulness and love that someone went through to choose, buy, and give you that gift. And so in gift giving, gift receiving, and being thankful, we have a line of immaturity all the way to maturity. What you're gonna see is that the Corinthian church was very immature, and as the Apostle Paul has been saying to the church at Corinth, and as the Apostle Paul is saying, or the Lord is saying through the Apostle Paul to our church and congregation, churches can be immature or mature, and there's an expectation that local churches, just like individuals, are going to grow in maturity as a congregation. Paul expected the church at Corinth to be more mature than they were based on what he heard by these letters and the people who'd come to visit him. And so part of the, these letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians to Corinth, is Paul saying, hey, you should be more mature than you are. Stop, stop doing all of these childish things Look to the Lord Jesus and to the Holy Spirit for growth and grow in your Christian faith. And so that's where we're headed this morning. Um, with that brief introduction, um, I'll read to us from 1 Corinthians 12, um, verses 1 through 11. This is the word of our God. Now concerning spiritual, spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that you were pagan, that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, 
to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Because this is the word of God, why don't we pray this morning before we consider it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the spiritual gifts that each of us have received in this local church that are right now at play in our dialogue with you in worship, hearing and listening to your authoritative word, looking to put it into practice and respond in worship, both worship this morning and worship in our life from Sunday to Sunday. Would you, through your Holy Spirit, encourage, direct, teach us, and equip us for every good work as you promised. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as you come to this particular text, I I know what you're thinking, Um, and at least in this sermon, I am somewhat going to let you down. Um, I know, one, you're thinking, probably already, which spiritual gift do I have? Um, Two, and maybe in addition to, maybe you're doing both of them, the other one is, what about that crazy thing called prophecy and tongues and interpretation? And I'm really, really curious about those things. Now, I will make a promise to you, I will cover both of those topics but I'm not going to do it this morning. Um, Because even though those things are mentioned here in this particular passage, that is not Paul's focus. Because sometimes our pressing questions are not the things that we need to hear. And honestly, when we look at spiritual gifts, if our top and foremost questions are, which one do I have, and which ones are the really cool, the really crazy ones, we have already found ourselves slipping in to the error of Corinth because that's not what Paul is highlighting here in 1 Corinthians. He's going to do a little bit of what he talked about before when he talked about meat, um, meat sacrificed to idols, and, and whether if you found that meat sacrificed to idols in the meat market, if you could buy it there. Um, he actually spent two chapters talking about that issue, and he started to round out the conversation by giving some context rather than directly answering the question. And so from 1 Corinthians 12, all the way through 14, he's going to be talking about this issue of spiritual gifts. And so we want to start where the Apostle Paul starts. And if you notice, he starts in the first verses talking about what marks true spirituality. It's the thing that we skip past those first three verses to get to the rest. He opens by saying this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, we tend to, to hear that and say, that is an obvious statement. I get that. I can move on now to the more interesting aspects of spiritual gifts. But I'd like to challenge you a little bit this morning in saying it's not such an obvious statement. There there are people, and we could maybe consider starting at a certain level in Christianity, and if we were to believe Jesus as only the door into the Christian life, and that white might advance beyond that, there could conceivably be a place where we would grow to such a spiritual height that we would not need such baby and pedantic things as 
confessing the name of Jesus. That was good for my entrance into this thing called Christianity. But now I have grown and my own spiritual growth. And now I'm to the place where I don't really need to concern myself, myself as much with Jesus. Jesus is for those who are still immature in spirituality. This is a little bit like the Darth Vader principle. You know, the student has now become the master. I don't need you anymore, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And even though none of you would like to think of yourselves as Darth Vader in that metaphor, we could conceive of ourselves in thinking about the Christian life that Jesus is only someone that we need when we start. And then we leave that behind and we push out from the shore and then we begin to grow as spiritual beings, start to lift some spiritual weights and flex our spiritual muscles. And later on, we are about spirituality and the growth in spirituality and being really spiritual people. And we start to notice that the name of Jesus is not mentioned as much. And one of the things that Paul is saying in this passage is that a hallmark of healthy and strong spirituality, a hallmark of true Christian conversion is that the person who is a Christian confesses the lordship of Jesus, the exclusivity of Jesus for salvation, that salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. He is not just one of the options by which someone may believe and come into right standing with God, that he is the only way to the Father as Jesus himself confessed. And so that confession, not just saying that, you could go back and listen to the recording and say what I just said word for word, doesn't necessarily mean that you're a Christian. It's a good start, but it means that you believe that profession and that you have decided to organize the entirety of your life around the fact that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King. He's king over your family, he's king over your sexuality, he's king over your finances, he's king over your vocation, he's king over how you study the Bible. Jesus is Lord. And that anyone who denies that Jesus is Lord, even going to the far extreme and saying Jesus is accursed and is not worth anything, they cannot be saved and are not in possession of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, why does that come on the front end of talking about spiritual gifts? And that's because understanding spiritual gifts, we first have to understand that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit from his incarnation, through his ministry, in his death, even through his resurrection. He did not need the Holy Spirit to come and cause him to be born again. He did not need the Holy Spirit to come and challenge him for his sin because he was sinless. He did not need the Holy Spirit to come and overcome the cloudiness of sin in his head that he might understand in his humanity, um, God his Father, even better because he was perfect human. But Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit at every step of his life as perfect human, as God's intention for how God was going to declare the gospel was going to reveal who Jesus was and who God is through Jesus. And so the fact that right now we know who Jesus is, we saw all of his powerful miracles, we have a record of what he's done, that he has actually accomplished redemption for us, that we can say unequivocally salvation alone is in the Lord Jesus, and those who have confessed their sins and placed their faith in him have been born again, been brought into a new life, and have secured for them by Jesus a place in heaven that we're waiting for, that we can say those things is because Jesus 
in his humanity was filled with, empowered by, and equipped by the Holy Spirit. God made it necessary for Jesus, even though he was the second person of the Trinity, to be filled with and powered by the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit in Jesus' humanity was even part of that ability that Jesus had to call upon God as Father. And so the Holy Spirit helped Jesus be in communion with his Father. And so we see the three persons of the Trinity working together. The Father anointing Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Jesus with the Holy Spirit serving the Father, calling back to the Father in thankfulness as his Father and dependency on his Father in heaven. And we have this beautiful picture in it. Again, if, if I were to do a longer sermon, I could go through and show you the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary at Jesus' incarnation. I could show you at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus being baptized and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and the Father coming from heaven and saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I could show you the places where the Holy Spirit is called um, the Spirit of Christ and there are places the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus are so synonymous that you can't tell which one is working. But the work of the Holy Spirit is about proclaiming Jesus. I had a professor, and he always called the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity. And he said he's the shy member of the Trinity because he's not trying to draw attention to himself. The Holy Spirit is trying to draw attention to Jesus. That's his work. That's what he's trying to do in every area of what he does, whether he's renewing a Christian through sanctification, whether the Holy Spirit is working through the, through the word written, whether the Holy Spirit is working in the world, whether the Holy Spirit is working what we might call miracles and healings, what happened then through tongues and prophecies, and all of these things, all of the activities of the Holy Spirit is both in Jesus and for the proclamation and revelation of who Jesus is. And so if that's true, then it makes sense that in our conversion as Christians, we see that the biggest gift that God has given us is Jesus. And the only gift that God has given us is Jesus. Sometimes we feel like God's holding out on us. Sometimes we, we harbor the, the I'll be happy whens. I'll be happy when I receive healing. I'll be happy when my bank account hits this amount. I'll be happy when my relationships are at this level. I'll be happy when I retire. I'll be happy when whatever it is. And you're saying someday God is going to bless me with this blessing that's going to bring final meaning and significance to my life. And what we begin to think is that God is in a process of holding out on us, waiting to see how we're going to perform in our life. When really... That's making God out to be an unhelpful, unloving father. Not what he says in here. That kind of thinking borderlines on blasphemy because it clouds the love of our God and father and he has for us that in our salvation, he gives us Jesus. And in giving us Jesus and union to Jesus, he doesn't have anything greater that he can give. He has already given you, Christian, his best. You already have it. And with Jesus, he's promised to give you every other thing that you need. And so Paul's argument in Romans is, if God has already given you Christ, how will he not give you everything else? If he's giving you the top gift, could you even conceive that he's holding out on you in any capacity? But what it does is it shows, that kind of thinking shows that we so often want to separate the 
benefactor from the benefits, the giver from the gift. We see God as a God who's afar off, who saves us, and then over time gives us these spiritual gifts. When what he's done is he's given us Jesus, and through our union to the Lord Christ in salvation, we've been given the same Holy Spirit that dwelled inside of him, and that same Holy Spirit is doing in us what the Holy Spirit always does, proclaiming the name of Jesus, making Jesus' name to be great, making Jesus to be famous above all else. And so that's what the Holy Spirit is up to in your life. If you decide that you want to make your name great, the Holy Spirit for your good will absolutely work against you. If I decide that I want Joe to be great, I want to highlight Joe's name, and I want Joe to be popular, that is the easiest way for me to fall under the discipline of God. Because the Holy Spirit is not about Joe. The Holy Spirit is about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit loves Joe enough to make sure that Joe is about Jesus too. And so God is 100% committed to you in giving the Holy Spirit to ensure that your life is going to be tailored and formed so that in however you serve, wherever you serve, and whatever your process of sanctification looks like from this day to your death, your life in full will give honor in full to Jesus because that's what the Holy Spirit is about. And the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church for that purpose. All of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the same purpose as they were given to Jesus when it's given to the church in the proclamation of the glory of Christ. The only difference is Jesus didn't need any forgiveness of sins or cleansing because he was already perfect. And so the Holy Spirit roots out sin in the church and even in the rooting out of the sin in the church accomplishes this great work of proclaiming Christ Jesus which helps us because we tend to go to the list and we want to have the exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. But what you'll find if you start to study that is there's not really one. And we don't really see that Peter and Paul were trying and listing the gifts to give an exhaustive list. They talk about some of them, certainly. We can go and say these are those gifts. But some of the lists don't match one another quite well. And there are some on some list and some on another list that aren't. It, it wasn't that they were trying to say, here are the 13 definitive gifts and you need to find your gift so that you can become you know, the new personality test. It's a, I'm an ENTJ. I'm a three on the Enneagram. I am a D on the disc. I am a whatever it is. And I'm a this in the, in the spiritual gift assessment inventory. That's not the purpose. That's showing your individuality and trying to say, this is what makes me unique. What makes you unique is that you are loved by God the Father. What makes you unique is that God saved you. And provided Jesus Christ for your particular sins. And that God is at work in your life through the Holy Spirit, proclaiming and exalting the name of Jesus. And so spiritual gifts are given to you as an individual and to us as a congregation when we come together. So that we show forth the glory of Jesus in between his first coming and his second coming. So whether they're word gifts or helping gifts or healing gifts or whatever gifts they are. All of them are to highlight the glory and the wonder and the praise and the worthiness of Jesus the Christ. And if you get that, you insulate yourself, you inoculate yourself from some of the errors that the church had fallen into 
in Corinth. And so what we see as we go through, that even though there are a variety of spiritual gifts, and this is the second point, and the point is that these gifts reside in the same God, not that there is a difference in a variety. Let me, let me show you where that is here in this verse. Um, in verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts. We say, great, I like varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone, even there at the end of verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Do you hear all the times the Apostle Paul said same? Same, same, same. And you're saying to me, well, he mentions, you know, same God, same spirit. That seems like variety. He's just giving the different names of the Trinity. He says same spirit. He says same Lord, which is Paul's theological word for Jesus. And he says same God. And that's Paul's theological language for God the Father. And so he says lots of gifts. Same triune God who apportions to the church these gifts for his use. And so even in thinking about the variety of gifts, Paul is challenging the congregation to remember all of those gifts point back to this same glorious God who gives these gifts for works of service and tends us to be able to come together with one another and we come together as one another, we proclaim this same God, the God um, who alone has provided the salvation for all of us and the only God who pulls us together by our common confession in him. Now, we are a diverse bunch of people. I wish we were more diverse. I hope that our congregation grows in more diversity. I want each local church, no matter where they are, whether they're Africa or in Culpeper, to represent the diversity of their own community as God calls people from every tribe and tongue and nation. The beauty of that diversity is it shows that ethnicity, socioeconomic background, intelligence, that none of these things are barriers to salvation and none of those things at all commend you to God any more than anything else. That what binds us together is not that we are a bunch of people that have ag agreed to tolerate one another and put up with one another and our likes and dislikes are somewhat close within the range that we think we probably get along even without Jesus. It's the fact that we come together and it is only because of Jesus that makes sense that we are all together with one another. And so our differences highlight the glory of Jesus in salvation. And the same way that the differences in the gifts that we've received does. So all of you received a gift of the Holy Spirit. None of you have all of them. You know, none of you are a single standalone local church, in case you know. No. Nobody is like the, the Navy SEAL of spiritual gifts. You know, check, 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 all the way through. I've got all of them. I can preach, I can teach, I can heal miracles. You know, whatever they are, I can do all of them. You know, everybody's got at least one. Nobody has all of them. Some people may, you know, overlap one or two categories. So there's a diversity. There's a broad diversity here this morning. But that broad diversity, the only time that it comes together and it looks like Jesus who displayed all the gifts is when we're together with one another. That's the only time that we look like Jesus and the display of spiritual gifts is when we all come together with one another. So a part of giving different gifts to people wasn't that we would go and say, well, 
know, I have this gift, and I think I'm going to go associate with the people with that gift. I'm going to start a Facebook group for the people who have that spiritual gift so that we can encourage one another in the exercise of that spiritual gift. And instead, we come together with a variety of spiritual gifts, and those spiritual gifts direct us back to the God who has given us those gifts. So as we express them with one another, we proclaim the one and same God who has loved us and given Christ Jesus for our sins and unite us to the Holy Spirit and drawn us together. And so what I want you to see in this passage is what Paul is trying to show you. He's trying to show you one God, the same God, the one who gives these gifts, is the one who loves you and has bound you together by this common profession. And so instead of focusing on your individual gifts, it should make you thankful for the God who's given you that gifts and given you the greatest gift of Jesus. And the beauty of that is that Jesus is the great antidote to falling off of one side or the other of the propensity when we are looking at our spiritual gifts. It's, it's really made possible by our current cultural age where we constantly feel simultaneously inferior and superior. Um, there's the uniqueness of the internet, which means it doesn't matter what you think you're good at. You can go onto the internet and find someone exponentially better than you, no matter where you are. That didn't used to be the case. Now, it used to be the case that whoever was best at X in Culpeper, they could conceivably be the best in the world because you had no idea. You know, you, you had no idea. Whether, whether it was a preacher or whether it was, you know, someone who does your taxes or someone, there were just these local authorities. But, but now, I mean, if, if you want to be inferior about the thing that you think you are the very best at, you can go online. But also, you can feel radically superior and what you do. Because online there's also now these, these groups that say the thing that we're good at is better than any other group. You know, everything from, you know, mommy blogs to guy blogs to dad blogs to, you know, whether it's, you know, repairing cars or throwing footballs or putting a, you know, an orange ball through a basketball hoop, you can go and say, we're the best because we hold these things in common we are the one group better than all of the other groups. And so we have simultaneously this fear of not measuring up, but also being a part of the very best and the coolest ever of whatever it is. You, you could be collecting Van Morrison CDs, and you could find a vibrant community of Van Morrison fans online that want to convince you that collecting Van Morrison albums will just fulfill you in all of life. You can feel both inferior and superior at the same time. And there's something about the human heart that leans to both of those, to pity and pride. And so Jesus has given us spiritual gifts, and both of those things are at play. You might think, well, I'm called to preach the gospel. I'm not up front. I don't have a microphone strapped to my face right now, and so maybe I am inferior spiritually because I don't have a more public gift. Or maybe you have a gift that you think is, is super awesome superior, and you start to think, well, I mean, I am somebody at Christ's covenant because I have this gift. Well, the beauty of our union to Jesus is he had profound worth. He had the utmost worth and value. And he was the humblest servant the world has ever known or will, will ever know. And through our union to him, we experience both of those things. And so, Christian, you, you could not be delighted in more. The Lord loves you with a specific, unique love. 
your name. I know, I know most of you, I won't, I won't do a pop quiz this morning. I can name you all by one and go through. The Lord knows your name. And he has not saved you as a general mass of unnamed people. He hasn't saved you as a social security number. He has saved you, particularly you, because he loves you and he wants you to be a son or a daughter in his kingdom. You have unique and profound value to God in his love. And at the same time, he has called you to live out that same love with which he's loved you as you serve others. And so he guards you from going around saying, oh, I'm somebody because God loves me. You're not. I'm somebody because God loves me and he has called me and equipped me to not boast in that, but to be so thankful and the gift that he's given me in salvation and the spiritual gift that I long to use it to serve someone else because I've seen what my Savior Jesus has done in serving others and first and foremost serving me. And so God at the same time guards us from an inferiority complex and a superiority complex by uniting us to Jesus. And so in conclusion, the gift should draw our eyes to the giver. And if we can keep our eyes on the one who's given the spiritual gift, we can use spiritual gifts in the congregation, in the world, to massive fruitfulness and glory to God and spiritual growth ourselves. If, however, we decide just to stare at the gift and not grow in thankfulness and not remember who gave us this one, then we're going to look at it as padding our own ability, our own name, or thinking that we're inferior to somebody else who has a different gift. And so my encouragement to us is Paul's encouragement to us as we head into this topic, can we, Christ's covenant, can we keep our eyes on Jesus? Can we rejoice in this God who's given us not only salvation, but equipped us for every good worth, every good work, out of his extravagant, unique love for us that calls us into the service of one another and the service of the world? So hold that in your minds. Think about it, maybe even test yourself this week. When you look over your life and you think that you're spiritual or that you're growing spiritually, is it because you look at your life and you see components of spiritual things that are being built up? Or is it that you're growing in a deeper love for Jesus and his love for you? Is your spiritual growth measured by spiritual characteristics that you think mark spiritual people? Or that you're growing and seeing your need of forgiveness and the fact that Jesus has not only given you forgiveness, but continues to use you as you go out and love others. True spirituality and spiritual growth is not about growing in our understanding of our own spiritual maturity, but growing in an understanding of Jesus' glory and honor and great love for us. Let's keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus. Let me pray to him and we'll conclude our worship with the sacraments. Father, thank you for your gifting of us through, Holy, through Jesus, our Lord, and through giving us the Holy Spirit who guards and protects, who encourages and builds up and has equipped us for every good work. As we look at this issue, Father, in the coming weeks, we pray that you would teach us to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Do this, we pray, through the Holy Spirit you've given us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand and respond in song.